Dear readers, we did it. Do you know what we did since we last saw them? I had a sip of juice. Wait, what? We watched Ghost. Oh, we watched Ghost. Carrie, how'd you like it? Well, it was worked this week. I was babysitting kids and I made an inappropriate joke. So I was babysitting kids and they were like obsessed with molding clay. And so I was, I've been like making a lot of clay projects for them, Mm -hmm. which by the way, I think I have a gift. I'm not an artist. I'm not a visual artist at all, but I think I'm killing it with clay. Like I've made some really cool things. Like I made a sea monster. I've made um, dinosaur, a dragon out of clay. Like I've been doing well. And what I was, about a dreidel? I haven't done a dreidel out of clay. The song suggests you do. The kids have very specific. We have. I made trees. I made a, re- a Christmas tree recycling plant island. I've made a you castle. You made a recycling plant. A island? Christmas tree recycling island. Mm-hmm. Out of clay. Mm-hmm. Uh. I was talking to mom and I was like, I'm getting really good at this clean. She's like, you're really good at it. I was like, I always was bad. I go, I did watch Ghost this week, so I feel like I'm prepped. I probably shouldn't say that because I'm watching our kids and I made a joke about Ghost, about the clay. I thought it was pretty funny. Did she laugh? She laughed a little, yeah. That's okay, right? Yeah, yeah. She probably that thinks you're getting really that. romantic with, your, with her kids. <laughs> I was like, get off my clay. I'm like, I'm like don't touch it. I know it's hard to craft with kids for it that is, reason. Sometimes, but this, but it was so cool. This, the one little one, the older one was like ordering me around, which was fine. Like I'm okay with them being the architect, and I'll be the engineer. Um, the younger one, though, the first day we like really worked together. We used like a fork to make the special Christmas trees, like to get the pattern on it. I was just like trying new things. It was really fun. Amazing. I really had a good time playing with them. Now I'm gonna make origami on Friday. Oh fun crafts right yeah i'm getting angry with you um why i just don't do this stuff with my kids and it makes me feel inferior (gasps) for the record i babysit and i i'm not their caretaker i am their babysitter will you please do those activities with my kids so that i don't have to absolutely i love that if you give me molding clay let's fucking go all right let's do this can I tell you my Christmas tree prank that I played? Absolutely. I might have already told you this. I'll be surprised if I hadn't because I'm proud of it. But um, <laughs> in high school, my friend Tony, who you'll remember from yes. the Patreon episode, um, he and I were driving around talking about how everyone just throws their Christmas tree on the curb and like, what could we do with them and all these things. And we decided to Christmas tree a friend of ours his home because we were near it so we drove through the neighborhood and what we would do is we'd grab a christmas tree someone was getting rid of you know it was january yeah. or whatever throw it up on the top of the honda accord which is what everybody drives yeah in, in high, high school. school and we'd hold it with our hands right. out the window drive to his house and put it up against his front door and then we'd go get another and another and another and we did it for hours till we had covered the front of his house in piles of christmas trees it's a really mean joke in retrospect Wait, it's like so good it's <laughs> so good it's also harmless but it's like egging someone's house but christmas tree in it it's way worse it's way better because your egg stains it's clean like this you just have to like might sweep. have been a bit of a fire hazard but it 
It was, um, I bet did it think was, it was pretty funny. Did he ever find out it was you? Uh, yes. And it's interesting because I think his parents were very angry with Tony, but did not know about my involvement. involvement. Um, anyway. Um, I do want to talk about our honest review of Ghost. It had been a while since you saw it. I saw it for the entire right. it's entire uh-huh. for the full thing. Uh-huh. Here's my takeaway from it. Please. There were so many cringy moments where we audibly like we couldn't keep our shit together. <laughs> it was I mean, what? listen, what I enjoyed remember? it. One, Patrick Swayze's what a fucking dream boat. Whippy girl whoopie girl bro. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg is a fucking is so fucking funny. It's great. To me, some of the CGI not great, but to me, the most cringe-worthy moment is you have Carl, his best friend, come over to visit Molly. She's mourning the death of her beloved boyfriend. And you see Carl spill coffee on himself and he takes his shirt off. So he's shirtless in front of Molly. And then Molly's crying about her dead boyfriend. And he starts aggressively, like, touching her face and, like, touching her bra strap and, like, grabbing it. It's And all of us were like, stop touching, stop touching her. I it was guess so he's making ins- a move and it's inappropriate and we're supposed to feel that way. No, but, but that was I think so- what bothered me is it was done under the guise of, you know, when you're really sad and your friend comes over and touches your face a lot. <laughs> no, I don't like, know that. We're supposed to. Here's the thing, though. We already, spoiler alert, we already don't like him because we found out that he's the reason. We found out that he's the guy, the reason why he's dead, he's the bad guy, right? It's It's been him all along. So we already know this. So any move he makes on Molly, we're going to hate anyway. Any any overt... Huh. So the thing is, is, my thing is, why did... And Molly doesn't raise a fucking blink to it. He's holding her face with both palms. He's pushing her hair away. He's grabbing her bra strap. Like, do you remember that part? Like, I mean, he like this, like, grabs her bra. And you're like, what? <laughs> First of all, I might be about to fuck a guy. I'm not grab. Dude, nobody's grabbing. I don't know. That to was- be clear, Carl, we forgive the money laundering. We can even see half the plot to murder. But the face touching, but Carl. face touching, The bra grabbing. That's actually what did him in. Offensive. That's actually what got the crazy, weird shadow people they weren't going to come. They weren't going to come. And then they saw the face touching. And then they saw the face touch and they were like, whoa, too far, Somebody Carl. take that guy out of here. <laughs> Get him out of here with Let's that face touching. Let's guillotine a fucking window pane. Let's go. <laughs> I, it's like, that to me, though, like, I I always find it so interesting. Like, I actually, why not seeing movies is a fun thing is I get to see these old movies from, like, our current sort of vantage point. And I will say we all had like a really good chuckle over Some that moment. Some of them moment. don't stand the test of time is what you're saying. It also is so funny that that was like an Oscar nominated film. Was it? Whoopi Goldberg won. Oh. Didn't she win an Oscar for that role? She's great. I mean, she's an EGOTer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She got her EGOT. I think it's Ghost. She's an EGOT? I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Cool. I think so. Whoopi Goldberg sings? No, but you can have like a spoken word album. Let me see. Let me Google this. She is one of 16 entertainers to win an Emmy Award, a Grammy Award, an Academy Award, and a Tony Award. Oh, shit. I just, I had no idea she could sing. Well, I don't, again, I don't think it's What a, do you win the Grammy for? Singing. It's the award. No, Grammy is spoken word, too. You can do an album. Oh. Okay. 
She won Best Comedy Album Recording in 1985 from Whoopi Goldberg, direct from Broadway. Incredible. So. So not a singer. No, comedy album. Okay. Uh, speaking of not being a singer, but very well in the comedy department, do you want to thank a couple patrons? <laughs> <laughs> You're what a- about Karen? What about Karen? I wanted to share it with about you about Karen. Karen. Karen is our friend. friend. When you go high, I'll go low. <laughs> That's the opposite of the show. <laughs> when you go high, I'll go low. <laughs> I didn't mean like in life. No, but I would like to keep this. <laughs> you when know you my go motto. High, I feel like that's like, I have people in my life that are like, well, when you go high, I go low. I have people in my life like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Jennifer is not who you're talking Jennifer's about. Jennifer is not who I'm talking about. You would never talk about Jennifer that way. Jennifer, as in my favorite Lopez. <laughs> no. Is she my favorite Lopez? Do I like George Lopez better? <laughs> I think Jennifer Lopez is my favorite Lopez. When you go J low, I go J high. J low, J high, J high. <laughs> we just did a song for J Lo. She's not a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> You're right. She doesn't know what the fuck we use. She's too busy fucking Ben Affleck. Let's invoice her for a Patreon subscription oh and God, explain you, that we already could did you a imagine song. Sending invoices to people we know for seven dollars for a Patreon every <laughs> month. Like I can find people's emails and be like, here's an invoice for a Patreon. Except Venmo. That would be really good. Let's do that as a prank. Okay. But Jennifer, thank you. For joining Patreon, you're a great, great friend and not a foe, Jennifer. I'm really letting you, you fly solo on this one. I thought that was good. I actually feel good about that one. That one could be a nice ringtone. Yeah, that was sweet. Thank you. We changed genres. Now do it again backward. Okay. <laughs> Can't you renifrage? Okay, well, I guess if you join Patreon, your name would be here, but that's on you. That's on you. And I'm um, We need to raise some money because I want to get a billboard for <laughs> Carrie in Times Square. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this. Did you see, if you're if you're not in on the, on the hot goss, um, there was a mom who is sick. She's, like, terminally ill cancer. Or she's, like, mm-hmm. cra- yeah. And she really wants to see her daughter married off. Um, or find, I should say, finding... Married off is aggressive. <laughs> it's really aggressive. Find love is she the kind of way, Find love. So she um, worked with a dating company, and um, she posted a billboard for her daughter. Which, by the way, so so it's on Times Square being like, hey, date my daughter. I feel like you'll get a lot of creeps that way is my concern, but... We go low, <laughs> you go high. And then when I, I get really high. No, I was like, so when I, you go high, I go so low. low. I'm sorry. When you go, when you go high, I go low might be my favorite. Should we, should we get down to brass tacks? Okay, tell me a... Wait, and now a word from our sponsors? Oh, yeah. Hey, would you want a drink? Yeah, what do you got there? Okay, it's called In Booze. I have a spicy tequila to basically make 
yourself a spicy margarita. And all you do is you take this incredible, it's almost like a tea steeping kit. Like a sachet. Like a sachet. And you put it in your hooch and you infuse it so that when you make the cocktail, you don't have to worry if you have limes, peppers, you don't have to do anything. It's like this dehydrated fruit that you put in your cocktail and you brew and a, a gorgeous cocktail that you just have to like throw some seltzer in and boom, you got it. You're done. What is this called? It's called In Booze. Okay, I'm looking up. Ashley is a mom of four and a cocktail lover that started it. And I feel like we'd be friends. Ashley, I think we would be friends too. She's like involved in the entire process and they try to get everything locally, like Michigan apples and cherries. She tries to support local businesses and they make all these different ones. They can do bloodies. They can do sangrias. They can do mules. And this one is spicy margarita that you just handed me. Yes. Oh my God. It's so good. It's delicious. I love it. If you want to buy your own sachet of party amplification, go to inbooze.com or visit inbooze on Instagram at inboozekits. And we'll put all of that in our show notes as well. So you can find it there. Cheers. Dear readers, we have another podcast wreck. And we're really Guys. partial to it because we're featured in it. Let's be honest. Let's say it up Let's be front. honest. Let's be There's honest with our arrogance. Indie Drop-In Network Scary Time is awesome they're gonna do a scarier paranormal story every single week and each week is gonna feature a different independent podcast creator that way you get a little sample you decide is this relationship right for me do i want to commit and then you can go ahead and find that podcast creator and listen to their show but in the meantime every week you're gonna get some sort of story about i don't know a haunted thing an alien a creepy spot a monster What's not to like? You know, we love that here. In fact, we love it so much they've featured us on Indie Drop-In Network Scary Time. So jump on there today and uh, re-listen to our episode and find some new people to listen to. It's like having a first date with a bunch of podcasters. (laughs) And we know you guys love dating. Date it up. (laughs) So find it wherever podcasts are listened to. Indie Drop-In, Scary Times. Go get scared. Do I want to exercise every day? Yes. Do I? No. Do I want to eat a healthy meal every day? Yes. Do I? No. Would it be helpful if somebody emailed me every morning recipes and exercises I can do at home? Yes. That's why I'm here to talk to you about Movement and Meals. It's a newsletter that is delivered to your inbox every morning that says, hey, here's a recipe. Here's a way to move your body. And you do it. What's really cool about it, too, is if you sign up for this newsletter on Saturdays, they send you a shopping list for what you need for the upcoming week. So it's like mindless. You just can have healthy meals, do exercises without having to think about it. So you can try this for two weeks for free at movementandmeals.substack.com. And after the two-week trial, it's just seven bucks a month. That's it. It's like 35 cents a day for somebody else to just make all those decisions for you, which let's be honest, that's what we want. We want someone to tell us what to do so that we don't have to use that part of our brain. So sign up for Movement and Meals for free for two weeks at movementandmeals.substack.com and let, let's let outsource someone controlling that part of our life, right? I could use that. Could you? Again, movementandmeals.substack.com. Get your life right. What'd you guys do during that ad break? Did you listen to the ads? Did you fast forward? Did you buy all the we things we told you to buy? 
guys, I just did a, um, this morning I did a self-tape and I showed Quinn. Oh my God, you guys. I'm going <laughs> to share it with you if you're a Patreon subscriber. It's, it's so amazing. It's so... Can I show them just the full body shot on Patreon? Tell them what you have to do okay, for the so full body. In order, to, in order to audition, they're like, hey, we need you to say your name, your height, show your hands, your side profile, and then we want a full body shot. Now, I'm by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm by myself, okay? And so I have to set up a camera shot where I stand and it's a full body shot and I have 25 seconds of me standing, not knowing where to put my hands, but just trying different poses so that I can cut the one that I like. And it's me smiling like a fucking lunatic posing and just shifting weight to see what's the most flattering angle because I can't see. It's like the camera. It is 20 seconds of just sheer pain. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so funny. It's my favorite thing. It's my favorite piece of art. And there's no music. It's just giving stampedine. Just smiling. In like leggings. In leggings and a turtleneck. So it's like form fitting and you're like, I hate my life right now. (laughs) I really do. I'm 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 gonna post it on Patreon. I have to. Oh my to. god! It's my favorite thing. It's <laughs> so like, good. It's one thing if it's up, but it's like it's gonna email everyone. <laughs> it's not like, it's, like we can't just like I would casually post it on on Patreon if they want this content. <laughs> but the thing is, is if it's gonna shoot an email out being like, hey everyone, <laughs> hey, truly darkly creepily hey, posted something. Hey. To our dozens of people who pay us money, let me show you me standing in front of my wall for 20 seconds. Oh, God, it's so good. It's really bad, but give the people what they want. Counterpoint, give the people what they don't want and never ask for. (laughs) Speaking of which, we actually have to do our dance video for the um, Um, Amazing Race. Submission. <laughs> Thousand percent. No, we have to do we have to do our music league dance video for oh, Patreon. Cool, 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 cool. Okay. Cool, cool. Carrie. Quinn. Carrie. Quan. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna be doing a story. Oh, this story is rough. Yeah, this is rough. New York Times, New Yorker, and the St. Louis Post dispatch by Stephen Pokin, who incidentally, I think, writes columns for them called Pokin Around. <laughs> and I think that's really... What would your editorial column be? Queries with Quinn. Oh, I, wrong. Okay. What would yours be? I was posing a question with the Posner. Oh, that's even better. Posing a question with the Posner? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. That's good. Um, This is a story about Megan Meyer. You didn't ask me mine. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Oh, <laughs> Just... I feel so rude. Carrie Care, cares. I mean, I probably do like carrying on, <laughs> carried away. Car- it it be my business. <laughs> up in what is, I pee my up... pants. Another prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I pee my. I pee my pants. <laughs> I don't know why that's killing me. Oh, that's killing me. Well, the trick is, is you have to make fun of your name before anyone else did. So I came up with Gary. I pee my pants. (laughs) 
God, that's so good. Oh, I'm weeping. <laughs> I needed that. By the oh. way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepy. <laughs> I'm Carrie <A>. Pima Pants. <laughs> and that's Queery. <laughs> Oh god, I gotta get it together. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't stop. Alright. Ooh. You're my... <laughs> sorry, you're just you're so Okay. Alright. Alright, you're doing the story of Megan Meyer. Megan. Ron and Tina Meyer met as kids. They went to prom together. They're married young and they have a little baby girl named Megan. They live on Waterford Crystal Drive in Waterford Crossing. That's too much. It is. That is so much pretension in a street name. I can't even handle it. But whatever you're picturing... It's opposite day. No, no. That's exactly right. It's like the matchy match houses. Yeah. And where they're like, you're only allowed this many pets. Like, <laughs> like I bought a home here. Like, I'm why an adult. Is, why Can is I it? please get a parakeet? <laughs> yeah, no, no, you cannot. Actually, don't ever get a parakeet. <laughs> they fucking weird me out. Don't get a bird that sits in a cage all day. That's just rude. Yeah, we don't want to know why the cage bird sings. We just want to let the cage interest. bird well, out. We just want to let the cage bird fly. This is like a Stepford Wives community. And... It's white picket fences <laughs> with white picket people. Um, okay, so despite uh, growing up in this wonderful place, um, if I was like idyllic, but like, is there like an underlying surface of like, but keep or, your shit together? But isn't it always that? Like, I just yeah, yeah it's gross. Anyway, Megan, um, as a third grader, tells her mom that she wants to kill herself. It's really sad they take her to see a psychiatrist and she does get some drugs prescribed for depression she's megan's really body conscious oh no um and she's unhappy with her weight starting at a really young age oh yeah in 2005 megan would have been i think 12 she likes volleyball she likes going fishing with her dad she is a chihuahua she really loves named barry despite these uh, insecurities. She's a really loud, funny kid. Right. Um, with a big personality. And a lot of her friends would describe her as fearless. She's kind. There's a blind kid at their school and she volunteers to be the person to walk the blind kid to their classes. Yeah. But, you know, she is having a hard time. She's in seventh grade. And I think she's starting to have that, like, lethal mixture of what teen or tween age girls are where it's that it's like the pen 15 right dichotomy right or on the one hand you want to your honest self is still a child and wants to play pretend and like do really innocent things and and there's like the other part of you that is like and i want to be sexy you know Um, (laughs) yeah you're really straddling pardon the probably not appropriate word but really straddling to uh do you want to be young yeah. and old at the same time? Yeah. And there's no room for you. Like, this world is not built 
for teenage girls. No. There's just no room to no. be that. She's been hanging out a lot with Sarah, her neighbor down the street, a few doors down, um, Sarah Drew. And Sarah Drew's parents bought the house from her mom. Like her mom's in real estate and like sold okay. them the house in, in the tight-knit community that they live in. And everyone kind of thinks that family, the Drews, are like a little maybe overbearing. Okay. They're a bit much. Like I even read somewhere that Megan's mom, Tina, would have like a signal with a friend when uh, Lori Drew was like talking her to like get out of conversation. Totally. Like I think they're just a bit much. Um, they, Sarah and... Megan start a MySpace account secretly and they end up getting caught by the mom and it has a Playboy bunny icon or something. Because they just don't know what, yeah. They don't know what they're doing. And then Lori Drew, Sarah's mom, is like, what are all these weird calls on my phone bill? And Sarah's like, oh, well, Megan and I met someone on the MySpace account, a boy that wanted to talk to us that lived in New York and Megan was calling him. So, you know, they're getting into the typical things that girls that age get into. Megan and Sarah are close. Like, they go on vacations together. Megan goes on vacations with the Drew family. Right. But it's also one of those teenage girl relationships where they're best friends one week and not talking the next. Mm. And what basically happens is that in eighth grade, their relationship kind of... Yeah. Disperses. Disperses. That's the word. Um, I'm sure it's not. And I think that that is hard, not just on Sarah, but her parents. Yeah. Because they also really want to fit in, in that community. Um, but Megan starts going to a new school in eighth grade called Immaculate Conception Dardeen. It has uniforms, which actually is something I feel very mixed feelings about. I do too. But I can see where... I see the pros and the cons of both sides. And I actually sometimes envied having... wanting. I wanted a uniform growing up. You didn't have one. I did not. Did you? No. I wanted one growing up because there was something about like, you know, not having to think about that has to be good. And kids are so... Make fun of you for clothes can be. It's like, what's a way to sort of put us all on the same... Completely. They're always going to worry about something, their skin, their hair, their weight. But I think taking that off a young girl's plate could actually be conducive to. I think I think I would be I would support a uniform with plenty of choices that would allow for expression within the constraints of a uniform. That's a good idea. I also kind of like it because it takes away like the money thing. Where you've got kids in middle school or high school or whatever that are wearing really expensive name brands and kids that feel pressure to, to be able to or, afford yeah. that. Exactly. I don't know. Um, and, and you can't get a very good job at middle school. So you're not making a ton of money. <laughs> 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 anyway. Um, Megan at this point goes to her mom and is like, I'm 13 now. I'm going to be 14 soon. I really, really want a MySpace account. Can I please have a profile? And her mom's like, ooh, it kind of skeeves me. I'm nervous about it. Listen, here's what we're going to do. You can have one, but we're going to monitor the shit out of it. Like, we have rules. And in my opinion, the rules that Tina creates 
are great. Rule number one is that she and Megan's dad are the only people that know the password. So they're the only people that can sign into it. She Love can't sign into that. it without them. Um, it has to be set to private. I don't totally know what that means because I don't really know MySpace. I assume it's the same thing of like, oh, like any, Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you have to be have friended somebody for them to look at your stuff or whatever. Um, they have to approve the content that goes into it, her profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to be, this one's really good parents, I think. They have to be in the room at all times when she's on it. She can't be alone in her room on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So in September of 2006, she is allowed to create this MySpace account. Her name on it is Pretty and Pretty N Bling 16. Like Pretty and Bling. Okay. Both. Two great things. We love Pretty. We love Bling. She's 16. She is not, but probably that's like the golden age she wants to be or something. Um, Her profile has, um, what are those called? Where you do your name, like each letter of your name. Oh, an acrostic? Yes. It has one of those. And hers says, M is for modern, E is for enthusiastic, G is for goofy, A is for alluring, N is for neglected. And that is the most teenage... You said it's called an acrostic. Uh-huh. How teenage is that? Goofy. Neglected. Alluring. Like, it's like, it, oh, inca- to thing, me, it just, like, also, like, she's, like, neglected is going to leave him wanting more. Mm-hmm. Ugh. She's trying to seem, like, mature in it, I think. Totally. Everything that we've said. She says in it, I'm an eighth grader at ICD school. I'm going to St. Dominic High School. Um, I like love to hip hop dance and I love to shop. Yeah, there's really hot with two T's. Guys at my school, they are fine. Her parents approved that? I, I mean, it's... <laughs> I'm sorry, I have notes. <laughs> I would love to be like, so why do you want to say there's hot guys at your school? Like, what's going on there? Oh, my God. It must be so hard to have a 12 or 13-year-old girl. Girl. That's, like, the hardest. I think my mom says that that might be the hardest age because, like, hormones are fucking raging. Real. Yeah. Um. So a few months after she starts this, uh, a f- sorry, a few weeks after she starts this profile or whatever she Mm -hmm. gets a friend request from a guy named josh evans he's 16 he's really cute his profile talks about how he likes snakes and he hates sushi and how this is pretty cool he owns a trillion cds sounds like a cool guy um but also he's got depth because he talks about on his profile how when he was a kid his dad left and so his mom's like a a pathological liar the trillion no. CDs? Oh, okay. Sorry. He has a trillion. He counted them, Carrie. And he says, poor mom. Yeah, she had a, such a hard time finding work to pay for us after he left. There's also a part where you talk about what your goal is, like a goal you want to achieve. And he says, meet a great girl. So and mature. he wants her to have long brown hair. And Megan has long brown hair. And then when they said what kind of, there's like an area where you could say like what you're looking for in terms of a girl and it says wait. And he says, no. don't really matter. Good. Good. So Megan's good. like, I like this guy. Why on earth would they ever have that field for a person you're looking for and have so a wait? Gross. How could they ever do that? But okay. um, 
So Megan's like, mom, please, 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 please. Can I add this guy as a friend? And the mom's like, Ooh, I guess so. But if he says anything I don't like, gone. And the mom is like, her blink's a little going off because they start talking to MySpace, but he never asks to call Megan. And at one point Megan asks to call him and he's like, oh, I don't have a cell phone and we don't have a landline. And I'm like, everyone has a landline. Um, she wants to, like, try to figure out if this Josh person is legitimate. And she this says, Tina says she called the police to try to figure out, which is, I don't understand how you can call the police and be like, is this a, is this real, a real child person on MySpace? Like, I don't know <laughs> if that works. So... She's like, this is feeling weird, but also I'm seeing Megan be really happy. So she lets them keep talking. On October 15th, he writes to Megan and it's kind of a change in tone where he says, I heard that you were mean to your friends. And Megan gets really anxious and is like, what? Um, How about no? Where the hell did you get this? And she starts writing, like, every two minutes. Mm -hmm. It's, like, that frantic feeling. Yeah. And it's, like, who are you even talking about? Um, yeah, I don't know. And then two minutes later, she'll be, like, okay, how about no? Tell me who they are. And then she's, like, why? Like, why did you say this? What the hell? And then she's, like, what the hell did I even say? She just is panicked. Like, in a span of ten minutes, she sends, like, message, message, message. of course. The next day, Megan goes to school and she's passing out invitations because it's going to be her 14th birthday soon. Her mom picks her up from school and takes her home. She is like, can I get on MySpace on the basement computer? The mom's like, yes. Signs her in. And then almost as soon as she signs her in, she's like, ooh, I have to go take your sister to the orthodontist. The dad's upstairs napping. She calls And Megan's crying and says, have you signed off? And she says, no, mom, they're all being so mean to me. And she says, you're not listening to me, Megan, sign off right now. 15 minutes later, Megan calls her mom and is crying even more. And it says they are posting bulletins about me. And I guess a bulletin on MySpace is like a survey. And it would say things like um, Megan Meyer is a slut. Megan Meyer is fat, like mean, mean stuff. And she's like, mom, I can't even explain. And she's frantic. The mom gets home. Megan is still in front of the computer. She's bawling. She's heated. She's calling people names on the computer and being really aggressive as well. It's gotten completely out of control. So she and her mom start fighting. And she sees that someone had sent Megan a message that called her fat. And that Megan wrote, I'm skinny now. And her mom is like, why would you even say that, Megan? Like, I think she's like the mom's in distress about like, oh, the whole thing is like absolutely so heartbreaking. I mean, it's so sad. And so she starts yelling at her mom being like, you're supposed to be on my side. She feels like she feels attacked. I'm sure Megan feels attacked from literally everyone. She runs up the stairs. Her dad, Ron, is oh, has is awake now and she runs into him on the way up the stairs and he's like, what's happening? And she goes to her room. Tina stays downstairs and is like talking to her husband, cooking dinner and explaining what happened. And suddenly in the middle of the conversation, she freezes because her blink goes off. Yeah. 
and she runs into Megan's room. And Megan has used an old Navy cloth belt to hang herself. No. She's dead. No. No. So sad. The dad, after they've like taken her to the hospital, after Megan has died, the dad goes to the computer and sees that the final message sent on the computer was a message from Josh. And it says, you're a shitty person and the world would be a better place without you in it. By the next morning after Megan has died, the Josh Evans profile has vanished. It's no longer online. The parents are beyond devastated. They go down the street to like talk to people about what happened. They go to Sarah's house and they tell the Drews this happened. And they actually end up going to Sarah's 14th birthday, which would have been right around Megan's. And it's really emotional for them because their daughter daughter will never turn 14. Um, They also agree uh, to store. This will come to play later on, but they agree to store a foosball table that belongs to the Drews that they got as a Christmas present. I think they're like hiding it from their kids for the next month because it's whatever. Um, so they're like, will you keep this for us in your garage? They're like, yeah. So they have the Drew's foosball table in their garage. Six weeks after Megan dies, a different neighbor from this neighborhood that lives down the street calls them and says, can we meet at a counselor's office? I have to talk to you about something. They meet this person and she says, I want you to know that the Drew's did this. The dad, Kurt, the mom, Lori, and their daughter, Sarah, and an 18-year-old girl, Ashley Grills, that works for them, they were Josh. Like, they created that fake profile. One thing you need to know, I think you already know, is that this family knew Megan really well. They knew that she was on medication for depression. She'd been on vacations with them. This mom says the reason they created this profile, Josh Evans, was they wanted to see, specifically mostly the mom, Lori, wanted to see if Megan was talking shit about Sarah. Because we heard, they had heard that like she had called Sarah a lesbian or something. And they were like, let's see, let's try to entrap her and see if she's going to talk shit. And then oh, if she does God. talk shit about our kid, we'll bring it to Tina and be like, look, Megan's gossiping about our daughter. She says that the Lori, the oh mom, God. laughed about it and said that her intent was to mess with Megan. Oh my God. The reason that this mom knows this is that her daughter was playing at Sarah's house and was given the account info of Josh Evans as like a Oh, if you ever want to get on the computer and pretend to be Josh Evans and mess with Megan, here's the sign in. And that day that somebody wrote, I heard you're mean to your friends. And this all sort of began the day before her death. That was that woman's daughter writing that. Oh, my God. 
She also says that when Megan died, Lori, Drew, called her daughter and was like, you better keep your mouth shut about that account. Existing. I am so floored right now. They go to their garage and they fucking tear into that foosball table. They use an axe and a sledgehammer on it. And then they take all the smashed up pieces of the table and they walk down the street to the Drew's house and they dump it in their yard in a box that says Merry Christmas. The FBI is investigating it and they basically ask the Myers, you know, you can't really talk about this publicly. You can't be going around. Yes. You can't be telling. It could screw up our investigation. So you can't talk about the Drews right now. It's been about a year since Megan died. And her aunt sees an article written by this guy, Steve Pokin, in the Suburban Journals. And it's about internet harassment. She contacts Pokin and is like, I want to share my niece's story with you. And he breaks the story. Steve Pokin. And then it becomes, it breaks and it's local news. And then quickly it's national news. And then quickly it's international news. So Lori tells the police that even though she feels like what happened contributed to Megan's suicide, she didn't feel that guilty because at the funeral she found out that Megan had tried to commit suicide before. You are a mother to a teenage girl. There is, there is nothing. You are a mother. You are a guardian. It is your job to protect. That is not protecting your kid. That is not, like, I can't even. Their lawyer, the Drew's lawyer, was like, well, all the messages were positive until the last 24 hours of the correspondence. And that wasn't even necessarily my client's. Basically, the defense is like, Lori Drew didn't know about any of these really mean or negative comments that were going to Megan until it was too late. Um, But Ashley Grills, this young girl, this 18-year-old that worked for the Drews and was there and was part of creating this account, says this was Lori's idea. She was the mastermind. And again, she wanted to lure Megan to say things about Sarah behind her back and then bring it to Tina. But then she got into like humiliating her and she was asking me to write these things. And I, I am 18. This woman was like a mom to me. I worked for her. I thought that she wouldn't let me do anything that would get me in trouble. Or she wouldn't let me do anything that would get out of control. I mean, this girl, Ashley, that's 18, was hospitalized for depression after this happened. Um, And the Myers have spoken out and said, we don't blame you, Ashley, for this happening. But they really fell apart. They've since got a divorce, Megan's parents. And after reviewing the case, the prosecutors are like, we're not going to file any criminal charges in relation to the hoax. No. Yeah. What happened was that she was indicted, Lori, and convicted by a jury 
for violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, okay? Mm -hmm. But her conviction was vacated by a judge post-trial on grounds that the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act didn't intend to criminalize the kind of conduct that she was that she was doing. And the government could have appealed that they feel, don't. Does she feel remorse? I I can't answer that. I can tell you that there were social ramifications, which is to say the dad, Carl Drew, would get in his car just to drive to the end of the driveway to go to his mailbox to get the mail because People are throwing shit at their house. People throw a, bri- a brick through their window. They paintball them. That is them. so They have vile. like a coupon that business. That is vile. They have a coupon business. And, and Tina is going to the businesses that work with them being like, do you know that they did this to my daughter? Yeah. Do you still want to work with them? And trying to get people to boycott businesses that work with them. Um, people are going on message boards in the community and posting their home addresses and their business address under headings that say child killer. Um, I don't understand. Like, I I don't under one, you know, this child is, is suffering with depression. I can't, um, you're bullying a kid. Like, I don't understand in what world would you like, like, I don't need to be 12 again. Okay. That was hard enough the first time. In what world would I return in fake profile? Like what is wrong with people? Yeah. That so, is so shock. I'm I'm floored by this story. I'm so irate right now because it's like, it reminds me of the I love you now die case. It also reminds mm-hmm. me of the, like the woman I did who was doing fake um, allegations online. Like, Mm-hmm. This online harassment mm-hmm. where the the law online has not caught up to well, the crimes. Yeah, this case was big. It did cause several jurisdictions to consider legislation prohibiting harassment over the Internet. Um, and the Megan Meyer Foundation was founded by Tina in 2007, which, um, you know, that's a cyberbullying prevention foundation. Her dad says, oh, this kills me. If only she had waited, talked to someone, or just made it to dinner, then through the evening, then on to the beginning of a new day in what could have been a remarkable life. If she had, he says, there's no doubt she would have chosen to live. So stupid. It's so sad. I just am going to say, if you or anyone you know... If you or anyone you know uh, has a mental illness or is struggling emotionally... Or has concerns about your mental health, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. That's Lifeline. It's free. It's confidential. It's a crisis service that's available 24 hours a day. Thank you. That's the story of Megan Meyer, which also came to be known as the MySpace suicide hoax hoax in that yeah josh was a hoax perpetrated by a mom who knew the kid i could like understand a creepy adult or a shit but like a mom who knew like i can't understand any of it but like to be so pointed about it is i think the most shocking thing to me you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it was intentional and it and it 
<laughs> and now a word from our sponsors. Hi. <laughs> Do you get confused by essential oils? I don't know how to use them, but I know I like them. And that's how I feel too. And I want to be a person that uses them. Like I support it, but what am I doing? You know? Totally. So there's this company, Simply Earth, that you're going to love. They send you an essential oil recipe box with everything you need. So it has the oils and it teaches you how to use them. It says, oh, do you want to make a... I don't know, a cream out of this, a lotion? Do you want to make a deodorant out of this? And it shows you exactly how to use your oils, which are all, by the way, totally toxin-free. They sent us a package of what you would receive. And can I tell you, it is it was like Christmas morning here. Simply Earth gives 13% of all profits to end human trafficking around the world as well. Gotta support that. I love Which is that. like, I love a company that helps, but also does some really nice, cool shit that's meaningful. Whole thing, this whole kit, it's not gonna break your budget. It's gonna make also a completely rad gift, wouldn't you say? If you use the code TDC, if you go to simplyearth.com slash TDC, you get a free essential oil diffuser. That's a good deal. So again, if you want it, which you should, go to simplyearth.com slash TDC and it starts smelling beautiful today. Are we back? Are you cl- Do you feel a little bit less icky? Probably not, but there's always room to feel like here. Why don't we hear a story from you? Okay. Mine's like a little bit more lighthearted. So I imagined that it would be impossible for it not to be. <laughs> so I'm doing the Chilean mining incident. Let's do this thing. Do you remember in 2010? Do you remember this? No, I don't. It was in Wikipedia, Decode by Discovery, Britannica, the infographic show, CNN, New York Times, NPR. This is the copper mine. It's a copper mine. Um, It's a San Jose mine and it's near North Capiapo, Chile. Um, In the mine, it's 10 miles of tunnels underneath the mine. The shafts are a mile deep. Um, This specific mine that we're at, like mining is a is a pretty big, um, big industry. Mining is a big industry in Chile. Um, this mine specifically, the owners had a history of operating unsafe mines. Um, in fact, between 2004 and 2010, they were fined 42 times for safety violations. The pay at this mine, however, was much higher than other mines because of its unsafe conditions. So they compensated their workers a little bit more, but is it ever worth it? Right. Um, Since 2000 in Chile, since 2000, about 34 people die per year in mining accidents. Um, In 2008, it was 43 people. So it's like, listen. It's not getting better? (laughs) No, it like ranges and like, I mean. Yeah. Doesn't sound like we found a way to make it safe. No. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. And you have people that are in this area, you have people that are traveling because it's, I think it's like you do 12 hour shifts, tw- seven days a week for like a tour and then you leave. So it's like they have constantly people coming in and changing and all that stuff. So it's August 5th, 2010. Miners enter and they're working, working, working. All of a sudden they hear the ground shaking and rocks falling. At 2 p.m. there was a massive cave in. A group near the entrance manages to flee, to escape, to get out. But there are 33 miners that are unaccounted for. Immediately rescue efforts go into place. They have um, near the entrance, it's completely blocked by rocks. So they're like trying to move it 
and they realize like these are huge rocks are also sometimes load bearing rocks. So they're like still having some issues. Two days later, there's another collapse in the mine. They find that the main granite that's blocking the entranceway and access to these miners is a 700,000 ton granite. That sounds really big. Right now, they're like, we're looking for the 33 miners. We don't know if they're alive. We don't know what's going on. So they're up at the top. And it's like not a great mapping system of the mines, right? They're not like, oh, yes, I know exactly where this is. It's like a little bit of an unexact science. So they're like, listen, we know 2,300 feet down, there is a refuge that the miners could be. Mm -hmm. We think this could be where they are. So they start drilling boreholes down into it. Now, again, they're not able to like, I mean, they're just like finding boreholes wherever they can, just trying to access it and seeing Sounds what really happens. Mm-hmm. It is really dangerous. Okay. Quinn. okay. <laughs> it's not great. I mean, if, if someone hears a drill coming, they can like move or okay. whatever. I guess that's what I'm picturing. All right. So at this time, the government is involved private donations are there um this rescue is going to cost upwards of 20 million dollars it is a expensive task and a dangerous task so they're drilling holes in an attempt to find miners that a collapse happened initially on august 5th it is august 19th so they drill down and they're like oh this is where the miners might be like we think this could be it and there's no sign of life Mm -hmm. so they come back out and they're like drilling 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 Three days later, they end up drilling this hole near a ramp near mm-hmm. where the refuge is. It manages to, like, break the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And they hear taps mm-hmm. on the drill. Taps? Taps. Like okay. something hitting. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. But, like, did we hear it? What's going on? So they bring the drill bit up. And at the bottom of the drill, there is a taped note. Oh! <gasps> That says, all 33 of us are fine in the shelter. What? In Spanish. Wow. Great. I'm amazed that the tape lasted that long. Yeah. I'm like, this should be a commercial in this moment for whatever that tape is. Whatever was. that tape is. You did I want good. It. I want it. Um, so this had been, what, the 5th to the 22nd, 17 days. The miners have been down there for 17 days. They have a refuge the food that is in there is about is supposed to last two to three days. Because of their rationing, they're alive. There is no... They have all lost around an average of 18 pounds, but they're alive. What happened in the 17 days since the initial collapse was they were all together. The collapse happened. They all made their way to a refuge. The dust from the collapse initially leaves them blind for six hours. That sounds unpleasant. Really unpleasant. Initially, they have to figure out what happened. So they all go out and they're all like accessing different areas to sort of like gain a bearing of what they have access to. And they're starting to like look for any way out. Mm -hmm. There's no electricity. There's no ventilation. There's no communication. All connections to the surface are completely lost. They've tried to get out through, like, these um, ventilation shafts, but based on cutting corners and, you know, tossing aside safety precautions, the ladders that were supposed to bring them to safety don't go anywhere. The refuge that they are basically living in is 
50 square meters with two long benches. They also have access to about a mile of open tunnels to get away for some privacy um, or to get some exercise. The food, like I said, was supposed to last two to three days. It's lasted for 17 days. What they did is they rationed it where every 48 hours they got two cookies, a spoonful of tuna, and a few ounces of milk mixed with water. That was it. Okay. Every 48 hours. The Santa diet. It's a lot. It's cookies and milk. Cookies and milk. Yeah. <laughs> well, initially what happened was is a bunch of guys went to the refuge and they were like, nom and cookies. And they were like, whoa, 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 stop. We don't have enough. Please stop. They then started working in sleep shift schedules. So they would like use their lights to make it look like it's sunlight to try to keep some regularity of like sleep deprivation and stuff like that. Um, and they called themselves the 33 where they were at. It was about 90 degrees with a 90% chance humidity. Cause remember they're so far down near the core, it's getting hotter and hotter. So it's 90 degrees on average, 90% humidity. Oof. So they're discovered they need help. They need resources. They're in a semi-state of starvation. There is risks of sleep shifting, which is this like not having daylight, not having any sort of like way to monitor your sleep schedule. Immediately what they do is they contact NASA, which has a lot of experience in isolation. They call NASA and NASA helps them by giving them two physicians, one psychologist and an engineer to sort of help sort of regulate them and also like provide some um, advice. So some of the things they told them was like, it's really important to maintain contact with family and friends. So when they discovered these miners, they initially sent down a camera. So they got some grainy footage of all of the men and all the men were in like pretty decent moods. They were okay. Then they started going, they brought them down, um, a two-way radio and video so they could have contact with people. Um, the first video that came was like 28 of the 33 were on tape because like some of them were shy, which I actually like that like even in like, you know, survival mode, there are people that are like, not me. I don't want a photo of me, please. Yeah. Um, so the one guy was like holding the camera and like filming for everybody. They were allowing family members to write letters to the minors and they could write it back, but they were like, keep it light, keep it positive. Mm -hmm. The first thing that when they have a video come down, this guy, Luis Urzua, who became sort of the de facto leader in a lot of ways, he was like, well, it's been a long shift was was what he said after 17 days in a mine. They bring down a screen. They start to feed them food however they go very slowly because they realize that their body was in starvation mode so they like are like working calorically with like making sure they're getting back and they're okay and they're safe so they started on a diet of like 500 calories a day and then slowly increased it they also felt like it was super important for the miners to be a part of their rescue which is like giving them hope and giving them promise and like making them active Mm, which i thought was really interesting to like give them something to do oh yeah that's that's like the thai rescue that he was always like we were like taking turns working on digging this thing that i knew was not going to help but totally. we needed purpose we because needed, you lose you need... purpose you lose hope you lose hope you have nothing and you're gonna die sooner totally. your body's gonna stop fighting so they had like two other holes one was like they were pumping an oxygen down there and the other one was transporting food medicine and water so most of the miners are Roman Catholic. Chile, I think, is a pretty 
Christian country or Catholic country. So when they were down there, they asked for Bibles. They asked for rosaries, statues of the Virgin Mary. The Pope sent them rosaries. Um, one man who was civilly married asked to be sacramental, asked for the sacrament of marriage to mm. be granted. They made up a makeshift chapel and they would do prayers. The oldest minor would lead prayers and that became like a practice for all of them. They, what was really interesting is they really talked about the 33. One, they're pretty secretive about what happened in the 17 days. In fact, they've kind of like taken a little bit of like a um, vow of silence to like protect everybody's dignity and stuff in those like mm, initial days where mm-hmm. like they're not really talking about who did what or what happened or what bad thing. They did sort of talk about the democratic process that they had. Luis Ursua, he was like, it's really important to have one person, one vote and that everybody had a voice down there. Mm-hmm. It was like he was the leader, but it was like very much a democratic process. He also talks about how everyone sort of helped build each other up because at one point in time, one person would kind of like go off the deep rails, mm-hmm. but it was everybody else's opportunity to like support that person. And mm-hmm. he was like, we all went through a day where like we were not well and everybody else came to support us. And that became like sort of a practice for all of them. Um, on August 29th, again, August 5th is when they went down there. On August 29th, each minor got about 20 seconds to speak directly to family members and have a conversation. Um, and at around the area, when the mine collapsed, family members of the missing minors came to this place. And initially they were sleeping in cars, but then tents were set up and they called it Camp Esperanza, which is Camp Hope. And so what happened was is they built food spots. There were police monitoring the area for safety. It became essentially a tent city with its own rules and politicians would come, but these family families would live there. So a little bit about the people that were down there. I just want to go through some of them. But Luis Ursua, he is like the, he was the shift foreman who who became the de facto leader. He would like rally the troops. Um, and he was one that um, coordinated a lot of the rescue attempts and operations with the engineers on the surface over teleconference leaks. Then you have Florencio Avalos and he was the second command in the group. Um, he was like the strongest guy. He was the most experienced. He was his experience. He had physical fitness and he was really emotionally stable. Mm-hmm. Um, he was trapped with his younger brother, there's this guy, Yanni Barrios, who is 50. He becomes the medic sort of vibe where he, they called him Dr. House, like the American TV mm-hmm. doctor. But he would like work with the doctors on the surface and help monitor that. Um, Mario Gomez, he's 63. He's trapped down there. He's the spiritual leader. He's the oldest guy. And he was the one that organized the chapel. Jose Enriquez is 54. He is a preacher as well. So he's a pra- he's a pastor. He organizes that. He does daily prayers. This guy Mario Sepulveda, he they called him Super Mario because he was super energetic and he sort of like led the like communication and like was like sort of like the on-air host. We have and a th- Super Mario next door. He's the super of the building. And, and his, his name, name is Mario. Mario. And we call him Super I Mario. I love that. And then you have Ariel Tacona, who's 29, and he's the group's communication specialist. So he was the one that, like, didn't want to be in the video, but he would, like, organize taking the video and stuff like that. Ariel's wife was nine months pregnant when he got stuck down there, and she ended up giving birth oh. on September 14th. Um 
and they were going to name their daughter something else. And anything in the 20 minute call, he's like, Hey, listen, I changed our daughter's name. It's going to be Esperanza, which means hope. Mm. So they're still trying to rescue them. They've come up and with. And she didn't like that name, but she had to but do she it. She had to do it. You know, if someone's stuck in a cave, you kind of just like have to so do she's it. She's like, Okay. So there's. <laughs> There's three plans for escape. The first, I'm not going to go into like what it is because I don't think you care. Basically, the first one is super precise, but really slow and could possibly take until Christmas. Then you have a B, which is like newer technology and they're not totally sure. And then you have C, which is the faster one, but it's not as precise. So they're doing all three of these at the same time just to see which one is going to be the most successful. Basically, what's happening is, is they drill one, the B plan, the drill bit gets stuck. And they're like, well, that's it for that plan. But they figure out this way to, like, extract the drill bit and keep going down. And so finally, when they break down into the near the refuge, the miners then start reinforcing the walls and start working on the ground level to sort of excavate this area, right, to sort of be a part of the rescue effort. And what their goal was is NASA developed this steel cage that was like 28 inches wide that would maneuver down this whole shaft that they build mm-hmm. and would bring up one person at a time. After 33 days of drilling, which is a total of 66 days in isolation for Ooh. these miners, 66 days, um, the capsule has finally made its way to the bottom. But they have to decide which miners go first, which we talked about in the Thai cave rescue, which was they wanted the healthiest to go first because if anything were to happen, they wanted someone who was like strong enough to like, if there was breakage or anything that they could survive, but also they wanted someone who was emotionally stable to go first because they were like, listen, if something goes, like we want them to communicate to the rest of the crew, it's going to be okay. You can do this. I did it. It's okay. So I mentioned Florenzo Avalos. He was the first one to go up there. So it was the first four healthiest and strongest went first. And then they went in order from like worst health to healthiest. Mm -hmm. Six hours before the first capsule was to come up, they ate a large meal. They took a... They took aspirin to prevent blood clots. And they wore a girdle to stabilize their blood pressure. Mm -hmm. They got moisture-resistant coveralls and sunglasses because when they entered the sun, they haven't seen the light of day for 68 days. So the capsule takes 16 minutes to get down half a mile. And so they have to remain calm, right? You can't have panic in there. So on October 12th, 69 days after they are stuck, Florencio Avalos is the first to come out. They asked everyone there to also be calm because they didn't want a huge celebration because they wanted everybody to focus and everything. But of course the first one comes out, he's like crying. His family hugs him. He survived. They take, it takes about 22 hours to get all of the miners out. And the last one to come out is Luis Ursua. He is the foreman. He is the last one to come out. He comes out and he says, I finished my shift and everyone is accounted for. As a foreman coming up. They were trapped in the mine for 69 days. No charges were filed against the mining company. A lot of the miners obviously deal with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a good story in that they all got out. But, like... It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And it's, like, a sheer will of, like, their religion got them through. And it sounded like these men did what they had to do and were positive in so many ways. I don't know how they did it. 
There was a movie that was made out of uh, made of from the story called the Thirty Three, which is what they called themselves, the Trinity Trace. They got no profits from the movie made from them. Mining companies, if any of them wanted to go back to mining, none of the workers were hired because they had this like stigma and fear around them. 14 of the 33 miners were awarded a lifetime monthly pension of 250,000 Chilean pesos, which is like $540 a month. Only 14. I can't um, figure that one out. They were chosen based on health, age, and opinions from the group of survivors. So, like, weird. Super fucking weird. Super fucking weird. And they all banded together. Yeah. And this was, like, national news, you know? Oh, I bet. So it took $20 million to save them. But they were saved. Wow. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. I can't believe I didn't know that story. Yeah, it was pretty recent. They, like, covered it. It was on – there was an episode of 30 Rock where they talked about it. It was, like, pretty national news, and I remember learning about it and not knowing what happened, so I had to cover it. You know, I'm re-watching 30 Rock right now, and it's the best. I can't recommend it enough. It's so good, isn't it? At the end of a a long day, sometimes we watch some disturbing stuff in this house. Uh, Yeah, we do. And it's nice to end it with a little 20-minute – palate cleanser that is 30 rock before bedtime (laughs) although i'm having a lot of weird (laughs) dreams about um characters totally like it's weird like i'll wake up and be like i feel like kenneth just showed up in that dream (laughs) we were just like friends well i mean he would be probably who are you close i think you're a liz lemon i always find i I I am a liz lemon thank you and you're a jenna maloney so maroney yeah no my (laughs) my friend it's so funny i have a friend who's like one of my the funniest people i know and she's not a performer but she just makes me laugh so hard and i'm like she's the liz lemon to my jenna maroney like i i own that but okay (laughs) well now you are i mean don't worry you're coming listen she's not a performer i think there's like a big caveat there no no just give me your address it's fine she's the one that listened to my podcast was like "Mm, i listened to it Oh, got it. Wow. This girl's really on my shit list She's, for so I many reasons. I love her so much. Point. We went to college together, and I, my senior year, all these like kids, all these under undergrad or like underclassmen, that's it. All these underclassmen wrote like, um, we're going to miss Carrie because X, Y, and Z. And a lot of the things they wrote was like, she's so funny. She's so fun. Like, she's so funny. And I came home and I put it on the counter, and like, this is my best friend since I was 10. And she looked at me and she was like, hmm. I go, what? And she goes, I just, no, it's like, I just, it's, they, so they think you're really funny. And I was like, yeah. She's like, I just, no, no, it's not that. It's not that. And she like puts her foot in her mouth so easily. She's like, no, no, it's not that. It's just, it's just, you have so many other qualities that I think are more than funny. Like, because I'm not considered a funny amongst my friends. Like, they all think I'm not funny at all. Did you say all. you're not considered a funny? Mm-hmm. You're uh, not a funny? I'm not a funny. You're a funny. I'm In not my a life, funny. you're a funny. <laughs> They're like, oh, Carrie jokes. The worst jokes. You like... and Kala are my two funnies. <laughs> and I don't need more than that. So, uh, triflers need not apply. Triflers need not. Either way, she was like, I love how she, like, read me. And she was like, "That's you're not funny. It's cute that they think that, but you're not. What, how and are you she's getting one over on them? Yeah, like that? she's like, "What are you telling them?" And then they, since then, they've been like, "Yes, your humor has improved." And then she found your joke book with tons of notes in the margin that just copied her jokes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, if you guys think we're funny, then I don't know. Join Patreon. It's a great way to support two sort of funny people <laughs> that are trying to make a podcast. 
Why not? Why not? What else do you have to do? Um, and if you got better stuff to do, then you better get to it. Bye. Bye. Bye.